new CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. He is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. What's up, y'all? Coast to Coast Podcast here coming at you. I am Joey Powell. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. Appreciate you guys making us a part of your day, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us and whatever your uh, usual podcast feed is, we're glad that you're making us a part of your normal listening habits. Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, with us as always. I appreciate them being a part of the show. Uh, guys, we got a, a little bit to talk about here. First off, a loss against Georgia Tech, and I don't want to reset these games, but I do want to talk about them in, in conjunction with each other. A loss to Georgia Tech, uh, which now seems even more like just a – a bad outing when you look at what the team did to Duke on Saturday night in Chapel Hill. Sherell, coming to you first, what is your biggest takeaway from the week that was for North Carolina basketball? It it seems, and we'll never know the answer to this, but it seems like for Saturday the way to for Saturday to play out the way it did, Tuesday night had to happen. And that's because you've heard by now the stories of uh I don't want to call it a players only meeting, but just the guys getting together after the Georgia Tech game and really not allowing anything to fester potentially and discussing what happened at Georgia Tech, why they lost, how they lost, uh, and deciding to make sure that it didn't happen you know, for the big game on Saturday. And I think that is a, a huge, huge thing for North Carolina considering the last couple of years where I think sometimes there were things that could have been stamped out or, or rooted out very early and they didn't. And they did fester, and they did become issues, you know, later on in the season. I think that shows the sign, shows how mature this team is, how old this team is, and that you know Ingram and uh, Cormac Ryan are, are leaders, and that Baycott and Davis are, are leading in their own way. So to me, that's the biggest thing about the week is that uh, obviously, again, we will never know the answer, but I do think without Tuesday, you don't get what you got on Saturday. That's a great perspective. Sean, I want to come to you really quickly and, and get your thoughts as well. Uh, I, I saw a team that 
recognize the opportunities that they left on the floor in Atlanta, play with full intensity for 40 minutes on Saturday night. Did you get the feeling that, that like Sherelle said, that not only were they just doing the things they're supposed to do, did you get the feeling they addressed what bit them on, Saturday, on, on Wednesday night? Excuse me, did you get the feeling that they addressed what bit them on Tuesday for the game on Saturday? Yeah, I think on, on Tuesday they got up 11, 11 early in the, in the first half. It looked like they were cruising, shooting well, and then they, they gave it up in, in very quickly. And I, I think against Duke you saw they got up early and Duke would go on these little 5-0 runs, but UNC would answer every every time. And really in the second half, it and I, I think it never got closer than, than eight points besides maybe at the end with um, you know some fouling. So I think in terms of of addressing the runs, that was that was one one key thing. And then obviously you have um, Harrison Ingram and Armando Baycott and how they performed on Tuesday, and then the complete 180 uh, that happened on 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 Saturday. And I think we read on Inside Carolina in terms of Hubert Davis addressing Armando uh, and some of his his quotes about, about being happy to be um, you know second fiddle or um, you know, watching, watching others. And in terms of, of twofold one going to him, um, not just early, but continuing to go to him. And I think, um, you know, we talked about it last week that we could see him having a big game against Duke just because of their lack of lack of size or, or physicality. Um, but then also him, him making himself available and him being aggressive as well. So I think, uh, you know, th- to me, those were two of the the main things between the the runs that they were able to answer uh, this time, as well as getting those two going and having great games. And the reason the, the reason they were really able to answer the runs is because they didn't have the scoring scoring lows that they've had. Uh, really, I would say at least once a half, almost dating back a couple of weeks, where you see the graphic, you know, zero field goals in three minutes and forty three seconds, or zero field goals in six minutes, whatever it may be. This time, they they found a way, pretty much to like Sean said, to answer. Every single time, you know, Duke made a small little push, and it's not. To be honest, it's not like Duke made a huge push really ever. Um, to Sean's point, it it vacillated for the final twenty five minutes between I think seven points and fifteen points. So it wasn't like the game really was in question per se. I think the the angst was more uh, the past coming back that scar tissue that we talked about a few times of. Some of those games where Carolina's up nine at the under four timeout and find a way to lose in overtime, those sort of things. But I, I think this team has shown that it's not going to go out that way. Um, Georgia Tech had to beat them on Tuesday. I I think it was a game where Carolina didn't play its best, but it still had a lead with 33 seconds left. And it took Georgia Tech making a very difficult shot on what I thought was good defense at, at the very end of the game to beat UNC. So you're, you're really, they're, they're not going to lose the game themselves. I think we've seen that with this team. You're going to have to beat them, and and Duke wasn't able to do it. You know, speaking about that Georgia Tech game, you know, they were down eight with like five minutes left or whatever it was, came back and took the lead, as you said, Sherelle. And uh, were it not for a, a, a crazy, you know, crazy make by by Nathan George, and, and good on that kid, um, were it not for a crazy make by him, and then whether or not you want to dig into the no call against R.J. Davis, I mean, that's that's absolutely kind of the recipe for how North Carolina had to lose. Um, and then coming back against Duke, Shirley, something you talked about a second ago, that to me felt like a blowout. And, and the score may not indicate it, but I say it was a blowout because the it felt like the outcome was never in doubt. And and to your point, it, it, it 
likely has to do with some scar tissue and fans being used to seeing what happens in these rivalry games. But I don't know that North Carolina ever really blinked to to make it a situation where you could see a a, a Duke comeback, where you could see a path uh, to to Duke making a run late in the game. Sean, you went ahead and opened the opened the Baycott can, so let's let's uh, let's go ahead and finish that off. Armando Baycott, uh, twenty five points, uh, I believe it was twenty five, ten, and uh, five assists or something like that, which is just an absurd number. It's a the most beautiful Kirsch nugget you've ever heard. Um, putting that together against a, a game where he had to show up, where he needed to be that guy. We talked about it last week that Armando's contributions don't change. Just because he'd had some bad stat nights doesn't mean that you know he doesn't still have the ability to put that in. Sean, can you put into context what having Armando Baycott back in, inserting his will on a night where Duke tried to take R.J. Davis away can you can you kind of explain to folks what you feel like that means for this team moving forward? I think we always knew this game was going to come at some point or another for for RJ, where he's not able to to get twenty plus, where he's he's struggling. Um, teams are are putting full effort on him, and it probably took a little while longer than than expected. But I think to have him step up, I mean, we've always talked about really it was the the big two that was returning and then you're, you're putting pieces around those. And I think it was nice to, to have that as RJ um, struggled, you know, to get, to get good looks, um, but to have Armando step up and really be the focal point of offense. And then it allowed Ingram and, and others to, to score around him. But I think, you know, really early on, it was the, I don't know if he meant to do it or not, but the, the bank um, from, from inside the paint also opening things up with that, with that jump shot. Um, just inside the three-point line, similar to you know what he did a handful of times his, his sophomore year, and I think that probably, from a confidence standpoint, gave him uh, just what he was you know I say mentally what he was able to do the rest of the game, knowing that he could score, he was going to have those opportunities. Thirteen shots, especially they were bringing double teams, but I always thought they were you know kind of they were soft double teams where they weren't going to really. Um, they weren't going to dictate what he was going to do. He still was going to be able to dictate if he wanted to drop his left shoulder and, and, and do a right hand hook, he could do that. Um, but he was also hitting, hitting shots, uh, that left-handed, uh, hook shot towards the end of the game being a, an example we probably haven't seen lately. Um, but at the same, at the same time, he was running the floor hard. He was rebounding. He was doing all the things maybe he's been doing in spurts or, not as much as he had been lately. And I thought that was huge, just having having that focus throughout the game. You could see some, several times he was probably just, you know, completely dying, especially as the TV timeouts weren't weren't happening. But he continued to play aggressively. And once again, I think this, this type of team is one, it wasn't a typical Florida State team with length that didn't have Derek Lively. Um, so I think the, the, the matchups, were, were in his favor and he he took advantage of those and they didn't they didn't go away from him so it, it was a nice consistent consistent stream that was I wild felt- joey that first uh segment you know i think if you look at it armando baycott harrison ingram and rj davis played 13 almost straight minutes to start the game and it wasn't like those were you know really broken up by time tv timeouts or anything they basically played to the 16 and under and then they went from the 16 and under all the way past uh, I think the eight and under, and I think the clock stopped at maybe seven thirty-three or something like that. Uh, so 
you could see how gassed he was, but uh, just the ability to, to, to do that, I think says a lot about Ingram Davis and, and even Baycott's conditioning that high level, that fast paced for that long. And then it was weird because, you know, they, they ended up all playing 36 plus minutes, but I don't feel like, I feel like Baycott got almost the second halftime because of the way it worked out. He went to the bench, got a whole bunch of rest. The game started again. There was a foul by, I think, Jalen Washington, maybe. Went right back into a TV timeout, got some more rest. So it was like the old graphic uh, in the NBA Finals of real-time rest versus game rest. He only got like 90 seconds or uh, maybe two minutes of game rest, but he got about 15 minutes of actual rest. So that that helped Carolina out actually a lot because uh, Filipowski couldn't get into the game during that whole stretch. So it was just one of those things that really – uh, you could never predict, but it helped Carolina a ton to keep him on the sideline for five or six minutes. Yeah, and and echoing what you were saying, that that first those first two segments were basically full send for Carolina. They were dictating tempo. They were running off of makes. Um, it was it was really intriguing to see uh, how they were able to keep up, and and I just don't think Duke was prepared for it. Uh, going back to Baycott really quickly, um, I don't know that I've seen him that engaged since maybe the. I, it was at least since last season, but just how engaged he was on defense. Um, you know, you saw him make the move on Filipowski, and then the entire arena made the too small gesture, which, you know, <laughs> take from that what you will. But to Sean's point, I when when Duke finally started having to double team him, which I interpreted that was what North Carolina was trying to do, was trying to force feed Armando so that Duke had to double team, thus opening up the perimeter for them a little bit. Uh, when Armando saw the double team come and then went over his right shoulder with that baseline left-handed hook that drew nothing but nylon, I don't know that I've seen that from him in a long time. Uh, and, and it's uh, kind of in the context of our whole point here is if he's able to bring that energy and that focus, uh, things really, really change for for how guardable this team is in, in really any instance. Sherelle, I want to ask you about something you've always talked about or or segments and how how many segments North Carolina wins during the game. Uh, I'm not sure that there was any situation that, regardless of who had the ball for North Carolina, you didn't have confidence in what they were trying to do on offense against Duke. Um, They ended up shooting 50% from the game, but they really felt like they were the aggressor and they were kind of asserting their will against the Blue Devils. Uh, And that's something that they didn't do against Georgia Tech. Do you feel like this team is, you know, has got the ability to kind of throw that switch now, or are we just kind of overhyping uh, the two-game contrast this week? I, I think there is a bit of uh, whiplash from the two-game contrast, but I also think that this Carolina team—they know we've talked about it several times—they know what they're supposed to do, and I think this is no, it's not disparaging Duke or anything. A very talented team, I think, probably, probably the third. Second or third most talented team UNC's played, maybe second, depending on what you how you feel about Kentucky. Um, but I feel like they are not yet a team, and that's again, it's not disparaging them. They they got freshmen who are still integrating, lots of new pieces. But I feel like Carolina is a cohesive unit, and you could tell <clears throat> to your point about aggression, Joey. Like Sev Trimble, you know that give and go from Armando. He knew exactly what Armando was thinking. Armando knew what he was thinking before he did it. It was just kind of instinctual, as opposed to needing. Uh, you know, Hubert Davis to call a set or needing to, to reset the offense or something like that. So I think the, the connectivity of the team, which has been talked about ad nauseum, is a huge deal. And I think it's a part of why they're able to attack so well, because they know what they're supposed to do. 
like each person, I think Carolina fans would could go down the list and say, okay, his responsibilities in the game are X and Y. And it goes to the next player. Oh, he's supposed to do this. That's what, you know, Hebrew Davis said he's supposed to do. He knows he's not supposed to do that. And he knows he's not supposed to do that. And if he doesn't, he's coming out the game. I think it's very clear. And I don't know if that was the case with the other team uh, because at some points it's like, all right, I need to get a shot. Let me go ahead and take my shot. RJ Davis is the conference's leading scorer. You know, right now, a shoe-in for first-team All-American, probably the ACC player of the year. You didn't see him force really anything in that first quarter. Maybe, maybe there were a couple, maybe two shots he forced. I would say that just weren't good uh, attempts. But other than that, he was like, "Okay, well, you, you're going to face guard me, then uh, I'm going to throw the ball to Armando, and that basically is going to give us an advantage because when they come over, <clears throat> excuse me, and try to double Armando, they were playing four on three the rest of the of, of the possession. Um, so I, I just think it shows that they know what they're doing." that has been instilled in them from the head coach uh, who did a, a really good job, I think, of calling this game and managing his roster. And then uh, when you're at home, it is a little bit easier to be the aggressor. And then, like I said, in combo with Tuesday, you would expect nothing less from a team this fiery than to come out kind of with their hair on fire and say, that's that's not going to happen again. That was an aberration. We're, we're not going to allow that to happen. So I think it's all that mixed together uh, that allowed them to kind of take it to, to, to Duke. and. Um, it, that's what they're going to need, it, you know, during this next stretch of games. They're going to have to bottle that up and kind of uh, keep pushing it forward because it is a tough stretch coming up. Sean, I want to talk about Seth Tremble just for a little bit. I know Coach Brad Frederick had the scout for the Duke game, um, and I think they did some unique things in the way they took away Tyrese Proctor from Duke. I think he was a lot of us, the three of us anyway, thought that he was potentially going to be an X factor. And if I remember correctly, I think he only finished with two points. What did you see out of UNC's game plan against Duke that was able to limit uh, Tyrese Proctor's uh, ability to score, but also just never really letting him get comfortable? Yeah, I think, you know, really going back to the games last year, I thought he was probably the difference maker offensively in in both. And and this time he played 26 minutes, but you, you didn't, he didn't really, he, yeah, to your point, he, he didn't, he wasn't an impact player by any stretch of the imagination. Um, obviously, some of the freshmen with McCain played well, but Proctor was was taken out. I thought they were physical with them. Um, they didn't allow him to get into that, say, 10, 8 to 10 foot area that he just constantly found over and over um, last time where he was able to get in, um, get the floaters, get the short jump shots, and he was able to dictate where he wanted to, to score from. So I thought this time, in terms of you know really forcing him to go away from the pick and roll, um, not allowing him to, or really not. La- last year they were always trailing him on the defensive end, so it just was free reign for him for the most part. And you know defensively, I thought he did well with his size and and bothering RJ. But offensively, you saw him, you know you saw Duke take him take him out for large large stretches, which going into the season, uh, you know projected top ten, top twelve pick. You probably expected him to be playing, um, you know, the 35 plus plus minutes. So I thought Trimble both off. I mean, we, we can get to his offense in a, in a minute because I thought that was huge. But defensively, just with his physicality and his aggressiveness, I think uh, even though UNC was giving up size, that was able to to almost push him off of where he wanted to go and make him a non-factor throughout the game. Sherelle, you've followed Seth Trimble for a long time. You know, you've known his family for 
for ages, all the way back since uh, J.P. Tokoto was in Chapel Hill. When you see Seth Trimble come out like he did against Duke after, you know, he struggled the last couple of games. And I'll even say it, it, it looked like he was thinking too much. Like he would use his sheer athleticism, get off the ground, and then decide after he jumped what he wanted to do with the ball. It probably wasn't that complicated, but I do think he got into his own head a little bit. Uh, what does it say to you, having known that kid for so long, to see him come out and put up 10 points on five or nine field goal shooting against Duke and then give the you know the defensive effort that he gave in just 19 minutes? Um, in a game where he at North Carolina absolutely had to have it, and his energy was so welcome. I think uh, it was kind of what you would expect from Seth Trimple. It, it was the defense. Obviously, you just talked about it with Proctor, and he was on road some. He pretty much all their guards. And again, guys, those Duke guards are really talented. I, I don't want to, that to be lost. I mean, Roach. There's not many teams who can throw combos of, of guards like uh, Roach and Proctor and McCain. And even Caleb Foster, who didn't play well, but he's a really good player too. So those are all good, good, good players. I want to make sure that that is clear. Um, but I, I think with Seth, it was decisiveness. You, to your point, Joey, you said that it looked like sometimes he was thinking too much and he wasn't quite sure what he was doing. There wasn't any thought this time. It was, you know, grab the ball, go. It was, I'm going down court. I know I'm going to spin. I know I'm going to jump over him. It was, I'm getting, uh, you know, I'm going to make this backdoor cut. I'm going to lay the ball in. You know, it was I'm going into his body. It was it was how he played in high school. I still want him to to, to punch one a, a couple of times because I think that'll get him going. Um, but you know, finishing was a has been a huge issue for him the last couple of games. I mean, that Georgia the Florida State game, you can go back to and say maybe if he makes that layup, it, it never gets that close. Um, uh, but you know, to his to his credit, you know, he he went and worked on it and uh, got better at it in, in a short amount of time and got his confidence back. And he gave you 10 points. I mean, if, if again, I, I don't, I never like doing this, but let's go back to October and we say, man, Carolina's in a tough game against Duke. And, you know, Elliot Cadeau is struggling from the field. And Seth Trimble came in and gave you 10 points. You were like, Seth Trimble gave Carolina 10 points. In, in November, that's what you would have thought before the season started because he hadn't shown it. But now it's kind of expected a little bit that he's going to come in. Uh, whether it's you know finishing in transition or, or making that corner three, which he hasn't done in a couple games, but whether it's that uh, or, or just playing you know great defense, you you expect him to come do it. And in the second half, if you look at the minutes distribution, uh, he played ten minutes, Cadeau played ten minutes, Washington and Withers had one minute apiece, and that was that was who played besides the starters. Um, so he was a, he's essentially a starter in the second half, and I think it's because of what you just said. So. To answer your question succinctly, it says that uh, he didn't let those poor performances or, or performances not up to his standard get to him, came back, and, and delivered when North Carolina needed it most. And I think also on Trimble, he's, it's been four games. He hasn't made a three in the last four games, so we knew that three-point percentage would, would come down, but that didn't, he was still able to, to try to keep defensive honest with, with taking the shot, but he was able to not that not let those two misses really dictate what he was going to do. And I I'm really hopeful we can continue to see this going forward, but was in terms of how aggressive UNC was pushing the ball and, and getting out in transition. That I thought, you know, getting those easy baskets, especially for a team that has struggled to score at, at times, that just op continues to open open things up. And to Shrell's point, when Trimble has jumped in the past, you you've 
want him to dunk it, you know he can dunk it, but he, he kind of hangs in the air, double clutches, you know, is maneuvers himself. And, and this time he was just going straight up and attacking. Um, and, and I think mixing those together, even if his three-point shot is not falling um, going forward, I think just that aggressiveness, both in transition as well as um, attacking and, and being direct, as Terrell said, with his movements will be really impactful for him. Yeah, when he's playing free, it's just it's night and day difference watching him, and it's he's fun to watch, right? The athleticism, the energy, it's just there's a there's a lot that you see in Seth Trimble that you can see from this entire team, uh, I mean, and it goes. I think uh, just one other one other thing. I think this kind of reminded me of Duke teams more so in the past, not really last year, where they did have Lively as as a top shot blocker. They knew. Um, that they weren't going to face rim rim protection, so I think that also gave them an extra layer of confidence when they when they were attacking um, versus some other teams that that do have strong shot blockers or do have better better help side defense. So I I do think that knowing knowing that they weren't going to meet much challenge at the rim probably gave them um, the ability to be more aggressive in in attacking throughout the game. Yeah, two things, Sean. Uh, 57 points in both of the games last year where Derek Lively was kind of a huge limiting factor on Armando Baycott. Obviously, different teams for UNC, uh, different team for Duke. Not completely different, but uh, some different pieces. But, you know, from 57 twice to 93 once at home kind of kind of tells you uh, how different both teams are, I think, as you know, in respect to last year. And then the other thing I wanted to point out, Joey, you asked a question about why was North Carolina so aggressive? And I think a lot of it has to do with playing at home. Um, you know, I answered the question, but then I went back and looked. The last five home games, so Carolina's only played five home games since Christmas, which is still wild to think, but they've only played five since Christmas. Uh, the points scored in those five games, 105 against Charleston Southern, 103 against Syracuse, 86 against Louisville, 85 against Wake Forest, and 93 against Duke. So Ooh. they're the lowest scoring game, you know, they've played at home in the last five games is 85 points. Um, so I think uh, they're just more comfortable at home. I don't know if it's the rims, if it's the crowd, but the possessions go up. They they kind of get down court faster, and it all fuels from the defense. Uh, even though the defense wasn't great this game, uh, there still were stretches where they were able to push it out and uh, able to get up tempo and, and uh, really get into the transition game because of how they play defense. So just something to note as North Carolina has more home games uh, coming up in the second half of the ACC season. ACC season, I think they have three straight at some point. Um, you would expect them to keep scoring the way they are. Yeah, and a, a big one coming up on Tuesday night um, as they, they host Clemson. Um, Sean, I want to ask you, this is a little bit of a, a tough question, but I know you can – I'm not going to give you anything I don't think you can handle, all right? Uh, what have you seen this past week, both in the loss and the win, uh, can North Carolina carry forward? What were kind of the lessons learned they can take from this week and carry it forward for this back half of the conference season in which they may have uh, a good bit of home games left? I think we've seen we've seen the defense um, slip a little bit, but but I think that's understandable given from where they were where they were at. Um, but I think in terms of looking at this week in, in totality, I think it is the importance of, of having the other, the other starters um, play meaningful minutes. I think even, you know, we, we didn't really talk about Cormac um, really at all about Duke, but I thought he hit 
after that the first shot was was rushed that he that he took and then the second one he set himself a little more and gave himself time um but he was aggressive offensively and defensively and i think it goes to that playing like a collective fist um i think from a a mental standpoint they've been that way all year and you're not going to get harrison ingram five you know five three-pointers every every game but at the same time i think it does show the importance of you need these guys to be getting you know the 10 plus um and playing collectively together both offensively and defensively so i think you, you look at tuesday um you know i i think that was a a tough one being on the road again once again a, a big lead and then they gave it up and they just weren't able to fully overcome it uh and, and then this time they did have the home crowd behind them the stretch going forward is not definitely not easy i think we've looked at it and said hey maybe the notre dame home game is the, the one game you can point to as as being um you know a, a win you can you can certainly count on um but also at the same time the bench uh weathers and, and washington um didn't didn't get a lot of a lot of playing time, but when they did, they they made an impact and they were um, strong coming coming off the bench in those minutes. So I think it's really going forward. The offense, I think we knew had to had to rise, um, and it's fine if even if there is a defensive slippage. But the offense needs to keep performing. You know, maybe not at that Duke level because that's going to be tough game in and game out. But um, you want to be looking, you know, closer to the one point one five or one point one point two points per possession, which one of my uh, favorite stats. So really, I think offensively is is what we what the biggest takeaway is knowing even without Cadeau playing playing that well um, and, and what teams might try to look to do against him going forward, uh, how the offense will drive the ship, because I think the defense can be steady going forward. Sherelle, one hell of an introduction for Cormac Ryan and Harrison Ingram into the Carolina Duke robbery. Uh, larger picture, those two guys came to North Carolina to win. We've heard over and over again they're really just in Chapel Hill because they want so badly to be part of a winning culture and a winning program. What do you think it means for those guys to have the success they had on the big stage on Saturday night? And do you think that helps maybe bring them along or, or ignite something for the, the last half of the season? You would think so. And again, we went 28 minutes without talking about Harrison Ingram, who had probably the game of his career, I would say, uh, considering the stakes and uh, considering what was asked of him to do. So I, I think the hope is that that confidence will carry forward. I don't think confidence necessarily really is an issue with either of those guys, especially Cormac Ryan. Uh, but, you know, they came from not great situations, as you said, last year, uh, both of them. And as you said, they've repeated over and over that a part of coming to Carolina was to have games like this and to be in games like this. So when you perform well in something that you've thought about for years, because again, no disrespect to Notre Dame or, or Stanford where they both played. Uh, well, Ryan played at both of them and uh, Ingram at Stanford, but there's just not that kind of game on the schedule ever at those two schools. Uh, so the fact that you performed well, that you made key winning plays, you know, Ingram, we didn't talk about it, but yeah, he had all those threes, but his best play of the game was when Duke had cut it to 10 uh, late in the second half, and I think there was a missed shot. I'm not sure who it was by, but he might have got away with it over in the back, but he you know, tipped it out. Uh, the ball was on the ground. He beat the guy, Duke guy to it, kicked it out to Cadeau, who kicked it to Baycott, who swung it to Davis, who swung it to Ryan for a three in the corner. UNC goes up back up by 13. 
Uh, just little stuff like that, man. Yeah, the the 21 points and all the rebounds and all the threes, all that's impressive. But I think if you ask Hubert Davis, like, what do you want from Harrison Ingram? Like, that play is it because um, it's cliche, but it really does impact winning. I mean, those those three points were golden because I think everybody started to feel it. You know, it's like, okay, here comes the Duke run. You know, they, they've done it time and time again, especially in Chapel Hill where a better UNC team has led for – 36 or 37 minutes and then just something happens at the end where duke is able to flip a switch and ingram was just like it's it's not going to happen uh so i think that that kind of play is indicative of what they bring and i think you'll you'll see that be uh infectious we've talked about it on here several times how cadeau's passing is infectious and you know uh ingram's energy is infectious and ryan's intensity on defense it feels like the one thing that each of the players does like really at an elite level on the team it feels like the other guys feed off of it so rj being that unselfish you know in the first half i think the team fed off of it baycott getting back to being kind of who he is and who we expect him to be the team fed off of it ingram shooting the threes the team fed off of it so again i don't want to go too much into this but it really is a connected group and i had my doubts about it i was like hey let's see how connected they are when they lose a game and I think they showed it because they had a meeting and they got together and said, we're not going to allow it. And, and uh, it's, it really is a cool thing to see a bunch of guys leading themselves. And so Hebert Davis can focus on, you know, the, the tactical stuff and making sure that the sets are correct. Like uh, uh, Ro Williams always said, he doesn't want to have to coach effort. And I don't think Hebert has had to coach an effort, effort a single time really since, you know, these guys got here in June. Yeah. You know, uh, Everybody always says that meetings accomplish everything. No, nobody ever says that meetings are the worst. But this is a this is absolutely one situation where a meeting seems to have really helped uh, the UNC Tar Heels, especially coming off of their first loss in quite some time uh, at Georgia Tech this week. I'm thinking if if you ever really need to to have a meeting um, about your wardrobe, I would suggest having it at Johnny T-shirt. Uh, you could go right there to uh, East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill check out the selection that they have in store. Uh, if you were in town for the the game against Duke, you had a great day to shop. You probably picked up your own stuff. Uh, you know, you could have, you could have seen this for yourself, uh, but fear not. If you're coming in town for any future games, make sure you go buy Johnny t-shirt, let them outfit you, let them be your haberdasher of choice and get your new uh, selection of North Carolina gear, whether it's clothing, uh, knickknacks, uh, who's what's it's, you know, anything that's got North Carolina's logo on it, Johnny T-shirt's got it, uh, license, and it's going to look good. So make sure you trust them the way that we trust them. Premium subscribers know you get that extra 10% discount off your already amazing prices at Johnny T-shirt. They're alumni-owned and operated. They're just great people. Go see them. We wouldn't be talking about them so lovingly if they weren't really good people. Um, one of the things that, that we talk about on, on Inside Carolina it's only companies that we actually really appreciate and, and Ben and Buck are selective over who sponsors us. And Johnny t-shirt's been along for a long time. Uh, so make sure show them some love Johnny t-shirt.com or on East Franklin street and Chapel Hill. Hit them up. Take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk a big recruiting weekend for the Tar Heels. 
Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Coast to Coast Podcast coming at you. Joey Powell here. I appreciate all of you who are making us a part of, of your routines. Um, not doing the show live tonight, but it's live to you if you're watching it right now. So play along. Uh, Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan are with me as usual, and I'm so glad that they are. Uh, a big recruiting weekend in Chapel Hill uh, this past weekend. North Carolina hosted the uh, venerable Drake Powell, who you know we all know and love because he's, he's been to so many games living right nearby in Pittsburgh. Uh, commit will be on campus next year. But North Carolina also hosted some new faces. Uh, Sherelle, I'll let you set that up and, and share with the folks uh, what went down around the rivalry on the recruiting front. Yeah, we call him season ticket holder, Drake Powell, uh, just because he's at every game. And that was, again, one of the reasons that he opted to not go to one of the big uh, private schools, the big academies, you know, play national schedules because he wanted the experiences like he had uh, last night. So in, in addition to Powell, uh, 20, there were three uh, 2025 guys there. Uh, two of them were on official visits. Uh, the one who wasn't was uh, Jackson Keith, another local player from uh, Durham. He's been to several UNC games, uh, rated in the top 50 by, by pretty much everyone. He is a, a small forward who I think uh, been uh, watched over at the John Wall Invitational. We think he's a, a small forward who you know could potentially uh, play some small ball four, depending upon you know how he continues to mature and grow. But he was at the game, uh, and then UNC hosted two 2025 official visitors and, and two really big names. Uh, as you know, if you look at the UNC offer sheet for 2025, it's basically a bunch of guys in the top 10, uh, and then uh, the other boozer, uh, Caden Boozer, who I think is ranked around 17 or 18. Uh, but two of those guys were here. Uh, Caleb Wilson, he is a 6'10", 6'9.5", depending on who you ask. Uh, I would say hybrid forward, a, a guy who can play on the perimeter, but it, you know, kind of in the post as well, in that Harrison Ingram role, in that Brady Manic role, so to speak, um, from Atlanta. He goes to Holy Innocence uh, School down there in Atlanta. Uh, a, a, a wonderful family that once you get to know them. Uh, very academic driven. He's taken an official visit to Stanford. That kind of tells you how his family feels about academics. Um, he also has offers from pretty much everyone in the SEC, um, a lot of schools in the Big 12, most of the big names, all of the Blue Bloods, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA, are all in on him. Uh, he was at the game last night. And then Jasper Johnson, who also is a, um, I would call him a combo guard in 2025. He is from, he's basically from Lexington, <laughs> Kentucky, uh, but he goes to Link Academy where his roommate is 2024 UNC signing James Brown. And he has a penchant for shooting. Uh, he's a lefty, uh, and he just can score. You know, sometimes 
uh, he, he might get a little carried away <laughs> with his offense, but when he has it going, he really has it going. I think there was a game earlier this year where he hit 10 threes uh, to tell you the kind of kind of marksman that he is. So, uh, you know, they both got in on Saturday morning. They, uh, I believe Wilson had a game Friday night, got in on Saturday morning. Johnson and his family got in Saturday morning. They were at game day, took in all the festivities. Obviously, we haven't had a chance to talk to them because the visit just ends today. Uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll talk to him in the next couple of days. Uh, Johnson, you know, his recruitment, I, I don't know if it's closer to being over, but the signs kind of point to that because he's got official visits the next two weekends um, uh, set. I think he's going to Kentucky this coming weekend. And I, I can't remember if it's Tennessee or Alabama in a couple of weeks. So he's already taken one to West Virginia. And there's, I, I can't remember, I should have had this pulled up, but um, it, it seems like he's getting his official visits done because there has been some talk of him potentially reclassing into 2024. Um, his family has said they're not sure. They're, they'll kind of see where things are. But uh, I think his recruitment is probably closer to the end, just because you see him setting up so many uh, official visits. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of a better time for him to, to be in Chapel Hill to experience it. Um, and if you're on social media, you saw that Caleb Wilson really enjoyed the post-game celebration in the locker room with the team. So we'll, we'll see where things stand in the next couple of days. Sean, anything you want to add about the games from either one of those two players? I know going back when we when we first heard about Caleb Wilson doing um, an official visit, we, we did a, a profile on him, and, and he's a, a guy just with a, his size and, and playing ability just screams NBA and, and that type of, um, you know, that type of physical profile. I think from a, a shooting perspective, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he does improve over over this the spring and summer because I think that's an area that he has he has potential but he he struggled a little bit in EYBL this past past year uh, but once again from, just from a body and, and makeup standpoint has one and done and and uh, future <laughs> potential written all over him and as Cheryl mentioned for for Jasper Johnson um, combo guard I think is right uh, definitely not at least as of right now. Um, more focused on on scoring than than assisting, um, but he he came off of just playing two two games on on Thursday and Friday right before coming down to Chapel Hill. So hopefully we'll have a little more detail on him. But he, he's definitely fun fun to watch, and he can put up put up points in a hurry. And as we're on this topic, just a question for Sherelle. Um, in, in terms of 2025, I mean, it really seems you know Johnson, Wilson, and then Coa Pete have kind of separated themselves a little bit in terms of the priority. Do you, do you think that's, that's accurate as of right now? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Just, be, you know, they've taken official visits and I think that's a more of a surefire sign that you are interested in the school. Um, if you take an official visit, um, yeah, I, I'd say that's accurate. The, the other guys, uh, you know, Darren Peterson, uh, the Boozer brothers, uh, Isaiah Harwell, uh, those those people they they haven't really yet you know solidified official visits. Uh, Harwell came, you know, I guess almost two years ago um, when he was the first player in 2025 offered, but his schedule hasn't really cleared up for to allow him to to take a visit to UNC. And then you know he's scheduled to go to Gonzaga, which is frankly closer to his family, and they've been really aggressive with him. So I, you know, it could be a situation where Carolina is kind of reading the tea leaves and saying maybe. This is not something we want to pursue. I, I think they're still talking to him, but I don't know if it's as strong as it was um, maybe a year, year and a half ago. So I, I think that's a fair point that the the three guys who have taken 
official visits in 2025. And then Jackson Keith too, who's just kind of hanging around and, and kind of seeing what, what's going on. I think you, you look at those four um, as, as guys that UNC probably has the best shot with right now. But again, all it takes is for UNC to get somebody on campus. And I, the other thing too is they're not going to sign, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but they're not going to sign like five guys in the high school class. That's just, that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, I think you're looking at two to three, uh, four, like a super, super stretch. If, if, you know, the number one, two, three, and four players want to come, then yeah, of course you'll take those four guys, but more than likely it's going to be two to three main classes moving forward um, with the portal kind of filling in the gaps that UNC might have. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens because, uh, you know, the other guys, they haven't really shown much, much movement, I would say. It's it's weird with the 2025 class because we all got a little spoiled, I suppose, with 2024 because by you know January 15th of their junior seasons, Cadeau, Brown, and Ian Jackson were all committed to UNC already. Whereas now, guys are just now really getting to their official visits. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. But I, I think, again, UNC put its best foot forward yesterday as far as the crowd, game day, the way it played, specifically to Caleb Wilson, the way Harrison Ingram played, specifically to Jasper Johnson, still the freedom that R.J. Davis and Elliot Cadeau have. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know that you could ask for, you know, anything better than what North Carolina put on display for those recruits this past weekend. Weather was amazing. Carolina Blue Skies, game day in town, your rival, uh, top 10 game, and then you go out and just, you know, handle business as best you're able. And then as Sherelle said, you had some very specific usage of of complimentary or like players uh, for some of those recruits. It just it really paints a, an amazing picture, you would think, for those families. Fellas, we got just enough time for four cents. Two pennies from each of you, brought to you by our friends at Congruity. Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels is the place you need to visit to get your free assessment from Congruity. They're a national brand, uh, but they're absolutely locally minded. They want to help the local small and medium-sized business do better. They want a strong business ecosystem in North Carolina, and they're going to do that by helping you cut back some of the waste that you have in your corporate infrastructure with regard to uh, benefits, HR, where are you spending your time? They understand that as a business owner or operator or leader, you know, to really grow, if that's, you know, something that you're concerned about, you got to be focused on revenue and you're not focused on revenue if you're having to manage all these other ancillary things, which are necessary for a, a profitable corporation. But they want to make it better and help you optimize and help uh, create better efficiency within your little C-suite area of your company there. So check out Congruity HR. We appreciate what they do for Inside Carolina. We appreciate their sponsorship, but we want to appreciate what they can do for your small or medium-sized business. Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. We're thankful for Congruity. This last segment is our two cents brought to you by Congruity. Sean, I'm coming to you first. Give me two pennies, dude. All right. I, I think this might turn into two, but the, the main one, Elliot Cadeau, I think uh, last last weekend on the, on the live pod, we talked um, about how Duke specifically was going to play him and how they would do something different. And I think we we did see it in terms of, you know, especially as the game went on, just completely playing off his his three point his three point shot and his and his jump shot. And I think it was interesting watching the game unfold and, and watching how how um, 
Duke continued to play off him, but also how Cadeau addressed it. Um, you know, I, I didn't really have an issue with with a lot of the shots. I would have liked to have seen him take another um, dribble pull up jumper from from 17 feet after he miss missed the first one, just because I think that is a shot that he can hit very comfortably, especially if people play off him. And I think, um, you know, for going forward, you're probably going to see teams start to maybe not as aggressively as, as Duke did, but I think you're going to see teams definitely start to to take that model against Cadeau until he does prove that he can hit a three. Right now he's he's two of 21 in catch and shoot situations. So, you know, there's no need to, to play up on him and get burned going right. Um, but I think that's going to be a huge thing to watch going forward in terms of how does how does UNC look to look to play that almost similar to UConn and Andre Jackson last year when when teams were playing so far off of him and what they did. I think you know with with Cadeau continuing to be aggressive of of attacking and attacking and putting the pressure on them. Um, but at the same time, one of the plays that stood out was with a few minutes left in the second half. Cadeau uh, had it on the left side, passed it. Um, defender was was sunk way off, and he just goes to the center of the court, sets a pick for RJ. RJ comes around wide open because he got the guy with the pick, and now his his man's so far off. So I think how are they utilizing him off ball? Um, whether that's cutting to the basket if somebody's going to double Armando, um, continuing to stay aggressive and and attacking the defenses, but also not being scared to to take you know. Once again, you don't want to overdo it, but continue to take um, jump shots. I think target number one is that 15 to 17 foot pull up, which which that way he has the lift and the momentum. Um, but the threes he was taking, you know, especially the, the latter the latter half, they were in and out or, or look look pretty pretty close. So I think for him, it's just going to see the ball go through the net, and I think that can open up a lot. But definitely to me, um, a, one of the biggest things going forward. Um, and then two, just in terms of the schedule, I think, you know, as we said, besides Notre Dame, there's no no real, um, off game. And I think obviously Clemson at home, I think it's huge that it is at home coming off a big win. Uh, but the game next weekend at Miami, Miami is another team fresh, you know, it's a little bit of, of frustration because they should be a tournament team. They should be in that upper echelon of the ACC with the, the talent they have. Um, and they're not sitting at, at almost a little above 500, but just from a talent perspective, as well as Miami and Laranega, how they play UNC, that's going to be a really, really fun matchup uh, to watch as well. I'll go ahead and say this, um, and it's going to hurt my head. Nine regular season games left. How are we here? Where does the time go? Sherell, give me two pennies, man. Uh, the first thing, Harrison Ingram, just again, some stats. Uh, Career high in three-point percentage so far. He's at 41%. We thought it was going to come down, and actually it got down to 39, and it's gone back up to 41. So I think you could say this is pretty sustainable, again, with nine games left. Uh, Ten or more rebounds more this season than his previous two seasons combined, and he's hit 41 threes this year, which is also a career high. He had hit 36 in his previous two years. So, again, he's more efficient from three, um, and he's rebounding better than he's ever ever had. So. Uh, just a huge pickup. Can't say enough about what he's done uh, for UNC. And then the other thing is the schedule. Like Sean said, Clemson on Tuesday night uh, at home and then at Miami. Uh, if I were a betting person, betting is not yet legal in North Carolina. So uh, I will say if I was a betting person, that, uh, that that Miami one is one that could hurt just because 
they're going to be so desperate, so, so, so desperate, Clemson and Miami, for that quad one win that they're going to, they're really going to bring energy that I don't know that Carolina has maybe seen a lot this season. So they're really going to have to find a way to flush Duke out tonight uh, and, and get ready for Tuesday because Clemson is four and six in their last 10. They're also four and six in the ACC, but one of those four wins was Radford. Another one of those four wins was Louisville by four or five. Um, who so, could have predicted that, Shrill? I mean, who, <laughs> who could have seen Clemson Clemsoning in January? I don't, I don't, it, I don't know. It is quite the Brad Brownell special. Uh, but I think uh, just looking at that real quick, and I know we, we're going to wrap soon, but uh, Ian Shefflin, you don't expect him to be as good as he was uh, in the first game, but also you don't expect P.J. Hall and Gerard to be as bad as they were in the first game. So those will probably even out. I think Carolina just you know, kind of needs to do what they do, and the crowd needs to be back into it. Uh, for them to have a chance on on not to have a chance, but for them to win on Tuesday and then Saturday, that's just going to be a tough game. Uh, if they get out of there with a the win, I'm not saying I don't believe in the team, but that's going to be really really tough because, like Sean said, Miami's an underachieving team who needs to to you know, uh, you know make a statement. And what bigger statement than beating Carolina and Larinaga's teams always play UNC well. So tough week coming up. They got a flush Duke. Um, and really, they got to validate Duke, honestly. We talk about that in football all the time. In football, it's great to beat Miami and, and beat them you know, by 10 points, but you have to validate it the next week by beating Virginia. And I think that's what the football team hasn't done. I think that's what the basketball team has to continue to do is validate wins and make sure that the, the last win doesn't cost you the next one because you're so busy celebrating. You got to move on. Uh, great win, great game, but you got to move on. And Eclipse is a tough team. We've seen a ton of maturity from this North Carolina roster over and over again in different situations and in different, uh, just different landscapes. And, and this will be another opportunity for them to show that, to show their continued maturation, to show how much they have been able to compartmentalize both wins and losses and how much they've found ways to, to motivate themselves to, to keep the main thing the main thing. Boys, let's get out of here. I appreciate so much what y'all bring to the show. Uh, shout out to everybody who has listened. If you have not, subscribe. Uh, and then throw us a rating or a review. We would really appreciate it. Our sponsors would appreciate it. All that does good things for us with regard to uh, how IC is able to, to manage and machinate getting good content to you, our subscribers. We're grateful for y'all. Shout out to Sean and Sherelle, uh, to John Siegley for producing. Until next time, I'm just Joey Powell. We will talk to you again on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. New CBS Monday. Federal agents. Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violin Island, we got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.